0: Welcome to Data for Future, the second interview episode. For anyone who doesn't know Cecilia before, I got to know her through a panel in a ship 2 b event for impactful businesses. And afterwards, I checked her up on LinkedIn and was pretty overwhelmed and impressed by her CV. Other than graduating from uh, Harvard with an architecture degree. Uh, for both her undergraduate and master, she also worked on, as a senior technologist and future synthesis for a major technology company, Alpha, which is really interesting for us because in her role, the pure focus was the intersection between technology impact and business opportunities, which is very tightly integrated to what Data for Future is about. And on top of which, Cecilia is also a very active member of the community and a really successful startup founder. Three of her founded projects in, if you live in Barcelona, you've probably heard of it. The Mob, maker of Barcelona, Fab Cafe, and All Women Tech. I think if I... Would like to sum up. I think all three business all create a community for either entrepreneurs or lifelong learners to find a place to, to be creative and innovate together. Uh, So without me talking too much, I'd like to start welcoming Cecilia and start by asking a question. Uh, Upon the last time we talked, you mentioned that you're actually studying a data science course in your own school, All Women. So, uh, I'd like to know what aspect of data that fascinates you that bring you to uh, taking a course at this point of your career and life.
1: <laughs> well, uh, first of all, thank you so much for having me. It's it's an honor. Um, and you are way too kind with my introduction. So <laughs> thank you. <laughs> um, regarding your question about why I'm interested in data, um, for a couple of reasons. Uh, first of all, I wanted to go through the program myself to, to have a firsthand experience of what it is like to go through this as a student, um, having created the school. and uh, And to be honest, when we created the school, we, the one of the, major reason is to funnel more women into into tech field because i remember a few years ago before we started the uh, all women we went to a um a, a conference where 26 out of the 27 speakers were men and we <laughs> figured mm-hmm. out that, that that's just not that shouldn't be you know the, the scenario so we wanted to change that and so and i wanted to go to the school to see if in fact we are uh, training them properly so that we can create the pipeline for these women to go into tech and so that's one reason. another reason is because I've been reading up a lot about gender uh, and, the, and, and and data gap in gender and it is overwhelmingly biased against women and minority groups and um, and that's very discouraging for me and uh, and as we all know and we have had this conversation, you know, as a, a general public, we know now know that data is, you know, equivalent to power and everyone says data is the new oil. If in fact there is, and not if actually, it, this is the fact that there is a lack of data and there's a lack of representation of women in data, that means that we are lacking the power to make the change that we need. So um, this is the second reason why I wanted to learn more about how I, could leverage data, first of all, to see it, to understand it, and second of all, to see how we can introduce change into the system, whether it mm-hmm. is in uh, through algorithm, wh- whether it is gathering more data, or whether it is creating more technologies around,
0: around that. Super. It's very fascinating to know because in our episode six, I believe, we did one production on data and gender bias, where we mainly... Uh, talk about the ideas, mainly from the book Invisible Women. Yes, and love it. it is, uh, I'm a big fan, big fan. So it's really fascinating to see in real life people are acting and combating those existing biases and we are moving toward the good direction. I was actually... In one of the inauguration events for all women, I think last year, if I remember it correctly. Uh, and the, up to now, I know the community has just grown so much. And every time I go to your fancy meeting events, I always get to meet all those like curious minds who want to dive into technology and want to like earn a career for themselves. So. Since the founding of All Women, what would you say is the biggest accomplishment of the group or the community?
1: So first, first and foremost, I have to say uh, I want to give credit to Laura Fernandez, who is currently the, the found, my co-founder and the CEO. She has been, got sent, and she has done everything and she has made all women to what it is now. So I'm, I'm more of a, almost like a, a participant more than I am, a, a watcher, basically, mm-hmm. more than more than actively participating. So I have to make sure that she's, you know, on the, on the radar for a lot of the people. So I think all women wasn't our first attempt we this has evolved uh in a couple of iterations whether it is from uh, we started out um as a, a training platform for for young entrepreneurs in general uh and then that that got shifted into a crowdfunding platform because we figured that we thought that um the the one the major issue is uh funding um, and then we shifted into focusing on only in women and in tech. And that has worked tremendously. So that shift, that iteration as a as an entrepreneur in the roadmap really worked for us. Um, and I think this is one of the learning lessons is that um, we, you need to focus. <laughs> you need to know your market. You need to know the pain point. You need to focus uh, as much as possible because that's the language you have to speak to your audience. And since then, uh, we... I think one of the one of the major accomplishments that uh, that all women had arrived to is is able to connect all of these very talented women post training um, and match them with companies um, so that they're literally being placed into the company uh, with their new learned skills. And I think that is the last leg into in in the creating this pipeline. And um, yeah, and it has we, we have very favorable results so far.
0: Awesome, awesome. So, as you going through the course, what what have you learned so far about data science? It is
1: so hard. <laughs> <laughs> it is so hard and it is so <laughs> gratifying at the same time because it is so hard. Um yes. but it's just another language, right? It is just another way. I have to say it is extraordinarily gratifying to, to to learn this skill. It's, it's like all of a sudden I can see things that I couldn't see before.
0: Mm-hmm. Can you give it an example?
1: This course is very much focused on being able to weave through and filter a lot of noise that we have around us so that you can gain insights. And then using this insight to be able to make certain predictions or certain algorithms so that you can see almost the future, right? Mm-hmm. And so... Up until now, a lot of things that we have done, a lot of things that I have done in my work, uh, is intuit- intuitive, <laughs> based on intuition, uh, which sure. is great for. Some, this is this is one of the reason why geniuses or great artists or really amazing people they're able to do a lot of these things because they have this ingrained intuition in in them that possibly because of experiences because of their background or or a combination of a lot of different things that they have that kind of intuition right but for people like me <laughs> relatively normal <laughs> uh i need to have that insight being driven uh, or captured from real data from you know from the world not from conjecture mm-hmm. and that for me it's power
0: awesome i have to say i totally agree with it and uh, Uh, To the point you made that it is difficult and gratifying, absolutely. I was introduced to big data, I think, two years ago when I started my master in data analytics. Before, I know zero about coding. And the beginning is Mm -hmm. definitely more difficult. It's like when you're picking up a new language. But as you get get the introduction done and you dive into the world, you, you will suddenly get access to so many tools and you see... So you, your logic are being changed by the way you are using data to explain things. It's very fascinating. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I love
1: it. I want to I wanna explain this concept I've been explaining uh, uh, to a lot of people recently, but I get really excited. And this is this concept called TrimTab. Have you ever heard of TrimTab?
0: I saw it in your presentation and I want to ask about it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> can, can, we, can we talk about this now? Yes,
0: please, yes.
1: <laughs> so uh, trim tab is this little tiny piece of rudder that sits on your boat or on the airplane. And basically it moves uh, when you are um, flying or uh, on a boat driving against current. Uh, you use this trim tab to, and it's a very, very small piece of rudder. Um, and, but, but because you're against the current, uh, very little movement from this rudder will change the course. Mm-hmm. Um, because you're, you're, you're going against, um, the, the force. And so the, but the conceptually, uh, Buckminster Fuller, uh, who's, uh, I guess a, a lot of you guys must have heard his name. He borrowed this concept as a way to understand, I guess, your, your effort being put in and the output that you get out of. And so the whole concept of trim tab, uh, as, as a kind of framework, is that uh, what is the minimum amount of work that you can put in that could create the most amount of output using the opposing force as your energy source or as your as your motivation?
0: Interesting.
1: And for me, that is amazing. And I'm I'm bringing that up because uh, bef- even before this data science class, this this has been kind of sort of ingrained in my philosophy of how to operate, but. I feel like data science has really upped the ante on what I could actually trim tab. And now because of all these tools that you have talked about, because of all this capability and because of all the computing power, trim tabbing is now <laughs> on a whole new level for me. And I love that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. In terms of data science, I couldn't agree more because as I introduced before I take my master, I had zero coding knowledge. However, because The recent development of the new libraries, the Python, the tool has been so well developed. And for us, even though as beginners, we can use the really nice tool and develop the amazing models from zero to hero in like a month or three months.
1: Exactly. I'm only in week three in my (laughs) my bootcamp and we're already doing multi-regression Modeling, and I'm like three weeks ago, I couldn't even do a simple function like one plus one on Python.
0: Yeah. Also, from your presentation, you share a tool reference and the resources sheet, basically about doing things, and there are good websites and resources we can refer to and use the tool directly, yeah. and which will also have the link in our show notes if that's okay, to share with our audience.
1: Absolutely. Uh, The whole point is never to start anything from scratch. There's just way too much resources out there to start something from zero, unless you really enjoy, you know, your whole goal is to create something from zero. But other than that, I mean, like start from nine so Mm -hmm. that you can arrive to a hundred. Don't start from zero so that you you can arrive to 10, right?
0: Yeah, I think this also helps you to on your journey to fund so many successful businesses, right? Using the right tool and know how to pivot the right time. That's
1: definitely one. Uh, I, I consider myself extremely lucky because I am exposed, I think, uh, to a, a, a various different types of frameworks that I can apply to and trim tapping is one. Uh, mm-hmm. But the other thing that I, 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 I do have to say is I think I have been very lucky in terms of building communities and finding people that are my tribe um Mm -hmm. and so makers of barcelona fab cafe all women i might have founded it but it has been my the ceos that are currently running it they are the ones who are making it greater much greater than where i left off (laughs) so uh so i i have every I, i i have to say i'm very very lucky to have these people that are you know levitating it even further than i could ever have imagined Mm
0: -hmm. i think not only you are good at finding the right partner and the community to be involved with all these communities you created are really uh, really inherited that spirit as well like me and my friends uh, being young entrepreneurs and uh, being women in tech we're involved in the system and we very frequently go to the events and always come home feeling, feeling very inspired and learning a lot. Um, but talking about entrepreneurship, and there was one company that you are currently working with that we didn't mention before, which is the Futurity Lab. Uh-huh. And now I think it's time for you to give us a brief introduction and about the fascinating projects you're working on.
1: Uh, so am because I, I like to create things, uh, you guys, so you can see like multiple different startups and then working with companies. I, I like the beginning of things. And so uh, a couple months ago, uh, literally in March, two months ago, uh, we started a new initiative and we're calling it Futurity Studio and uh, Futurity Studio is a future driven research and design studio. And basically what we do is we do a lot of research and analysis on various topics that we, we, we pre-choose ourselves. And within using these analysis as points of references, we then create future uh, casting or, or uh, what we're calling future artifacts. And so we uh, create scenario scenario planning around a future horizon about maybe 10, 15, 20 years from now. Um, and then we create objects and artifacts out of those contexts based on those um, analysis and then with those objects what we do is we we test them we test them with the market we test them with people we test them uh, we do surveys and see how get and get feedback and then we do this whole entire process again so basically what we wanted to do is bridging uh, information bridging data bridging historical information um, to inform us as what and, and to postulate what could happen in, uh, in the future, and I can give you examples if you're if you're interested.
0: Yes, for sure. Because I know this year you're running three labs. Correct. One is for the autonomous commerce food, and uh, another is the neural. How do you say? The it? neural interface. Yes the uh, neural interface yeah. Yeah.
1: we actually have a fourth one we're holding on to that one but I, I, I that's because I just can't I can't hold it off but it's the gender lab it's not public yeah. yet but uh, we're, we're, we're working on it
0: and um, I think with all women you're already starting exactly <laughs> <laughs> and it is my nature I cannot not
1: <laughs> do that there's just so much to talk about <laughs> in that area yes. but um, I'll give an example in autonomous commerce so in mm-hmm. that lab we're looking at the future of commerce and so looking back because we're always facing uh, in, in uh, things that are uh, happening or th- things that have already happened. So if we look at commerce and we look and we map out the evolution of commerce, what do we see? We understand that commerce, you know, regular old commerce. You you go to the store, you um, you exchange. Uh, you know, you can put money in and then you exchange for goods. That's how you transact. And then that evolved into into e-commerce, where we started. Uh, having the capability to buy things online, purchase things online. And there the, it changed, uh, as we all know it, a whole different paradigm in how we uh, how we make purchases as consumers. And so now we no longer have to synchronize with the opening hours of the store. You can buy anytime online. Uh, there are a whole slew of different platforms, uh, uh, financial platforms that accommodate, like PayPal, that can accommodate for these purchases. And then it evolved into uh, what's called mobile commerce. So m- being able to make transactions on your cell phone, and that is very much driven uh, location-based. So you can, uh, you can see companies like Uber uh, that needed that location to be able to make those ta- transactions, right? Mm -hmm. and then so we're asking ourselves what will happen in the future uh what what kind of commerce will evolve coming out of this evolution now and let me let me also give you examples of how uh so it's not just how technology is changing it's how uh the business model will also change right so if you look at say for example in regular commerce and let's say uh let's pick um a product let's say music back in the old days in the commerce time you go into the store you buy an actual record, <laughs> you, you buy an actual record and you go home and the record has 10 songs and you play it in a record player and that's how you transact music. And that evolved. Um, and I, I'm picking particularly in music because it's a di- digital good and it's easier to transfer into the digital realm. Right. So when that, mm-hmm. when uh, the e-commerce come about, um, That whole entire dynamics change because all of a sudden you can transact a digital good online. And that changed the business model from, and as we have all noticed, from uh, buying a record to having platforms like iTunes. And on iTunes, you can now buy one single song instead of buying the whole entire record. And that changed into the e commerce uh, reality where all of a sudden uh, you have platforms like uh, streaming music like Spotify where you pay a monthly fee and you have all the music in the whole entire world for. What ten euros a month? Um, right. and so you you can now see how it it changed the not not only how we transact but also the business model behind it and what we how we experience it right. So what what's gonna come in the future? And one of the things that we have been looking in we're very much interested in in this um, uh, rapidly uh, up and coming. Uh, Possibility of what we're calling uh, autonomous commerce. And so autonomous commerce is based on uh, the scenario of when when machine uh, and algorithms have their own capability to make transactions on their own uh, for for us, for on the on the behalf of humans or for themselves. So I'll, I'll give you an example of what poss- what, how can machines transact or why would machines be interested in transacts on their own. So say uh, I have an un- autonomous vehicle and you have an autonomous vehicle and they could communicate and they're on the same road together. You are somehow in front of me and you, you as an autonomous vehicle. Uh, I am in a, in a hurry. Uh, my autonomous vehicle can transact with yours so that they could just say, I will pay you X amount of money for you to move over so that I can move forward without us human inter, intervening. And so they can transact on their own and they can just make to an, an agreement on their own. And then they could uh, the, the machines will come up with an, an agreement. So these are the type of things that we can already see in the future. And the, uh, the whole Autonomous Commerce Lab looks into what this future looks like and how we can help companies to prepare for a future uh, such as Autonomous Commerce.
0: Interesting. Um, for this specific concept, are you working on a, like a specific case right now, or it's more about research and envisioning?
1: So the way we operate uh, at Futurity Studio is that we have three uh, legs. Uh, the first one is analysis. So we produce uh, six reports every year based uh, on this mm-hmm. particular topic. Uh, they could be industry specific, uh, or they could be um, they could be more in depth uh, look into the topic. The second thing that we do are artifacts, and these are objects that are designed uh, in the future space, but based on the uh, the insights that we have uh, arrived to. So mm-hmm. uh, these artifacts could be I'll give you an example uh, One of them we're calling it transaction membrane. And so this is a physical space where you can imagine, uh, in the future. Right now, for example, um, Amazon, they delivered at your door. If you're not at home, they might just leave it at the door. Or they're even developing a, a smart lock where they could come into your house and leave stuff, and which is extremely creepy for me. <laughs> but, <laughs> but that, that is the REM, right? Uh, we need a space where we can transact these goods when, uh, not synchronously. I think that's the word <laughs> but you, you understand the idea yes. so in this future space how would you be able to transact things when you're not at home or when when they're being delivered and we're postulating that there might be this transaction membrane in the future where almost like a, a four-year uh like a uh in spanish we call it a recibidor i don't know, what mm-hmm. you know like an um in the entry of your house uh, where they can leave your goods and then you can, but you can lock up and, and uh, on the other side. But what, yeah. what if we take that to a next level? What if your appliances also have an in and out? So what if your refrigerator has, uh, has a door that faces exterior that, that Amazon can have access to and can deliver your groceries directly in the refrigerator and you have access to the interior and you can get your food that way Uh, but let's push that even further, what if your ovens, what if your trash bins, what if your you know every single item in your house that have any kind of transactions with the outside world could be situated inside this transaction membrane and what does that mean in the future when you have absolute fluidity in terms of what comes in and out of your house and you can Push this as far as hmm. possible, and we have we have thought um, in in our analysis of uh, possibilities of this. But this is just this is giving you a glimpse of what is what we consider as artifacts coming out from the insights that we have um, we have taken from from the analysis.
0: Okay, maybe it's because of my lack of imagination, but I it's difficult to imagine all my home appliances have and like they are facing outside or they are attached to the wall somehow, you know. There could be,
1: there could be a a mid, mid, um, chamber where all of this is being uh, negotiated or navigated on, on, uh, on it intelligently, right? But Mm -hmm. if you imagine that this is your house, um, and appliances will have to be greatly reinvented and redesigned to adapt for this type of behavior. Um, so a lot of these things are provocative. Um, a lot of these things are questioning how we as consumer will use this. Uh, will will be part of this world, and how corporations and and big companies will redesign for this type of world. If this is the type of world that we want. Right so mm-hmm. one of the things that uh, it is not so much about uh the membrane itself the artifact itself as much as the questions that are being derived from uh having a, a transactions uh like this so one of the reason why we're thinking about having um very fluid transactions or very intelligently um uh, uh managed system is because we wanted to look in if Let's say that we call this exchange inside outside the metabolism of your household, uh, and essentially that's what metabolism is, right? To to regulate right. your body of like exchange of uh, things that are coming in and out. The whole idea is that if we can, can we? If you have an intelligent system that could um, that could optimize this, could we reduce uh, food waste? Could we better manage our recycling capabilities? Mm-hmm. Could we uh, shared our, you know, resources better? Um, and these are some of the questions we wanted to address uh, based on the concept of uh, having a transaction membrane.
0: Yeah, I really like that part. That's where you link the technology and business into the impact. Yeah, I was listening to your description and the, the first idea popped into my mind is, yeah, it would be nice to have this membrane space for, the trash in my house then i would save a lot of uh, trips to the cash trash bins and we can recycle better uh, but it's really mind-opening to see how there, there's profession and company existing and they focus so much on innovation and work on the moonshot projects to envision the future i think as i started my entrepreneur journey a year ago I started with very moonshot ideas, but little by little, I realized the limited resources and the knowledge base I have as of now. So I kind of get my circle smaller and smaller. It's very good to see, get out of my current circle and see, okay, innovation and uh, creativity is still like very important for business development.
1: Oh, absolutely. I think it's uh, it's also very hard for companies to innovate. uh, In uh, I'm not saying that companies aren't innovating; there are a a whole lot of companies doing out there. But uh, I think innovating and executing are two separate, two separate things. Uh, Mm -hmm. Unless you are a massively, unless you're a massive company, and unless you are um, have all of the resources in the world, uh, Mm -hmm. you can't do both at the same time. Um, so you, you're either innovating or you're executing, uh, at any given moment. Um, and so being able to, being able to juggle between these two and know when, when to innovate and when to execute is crucial because without execution, then you are just postulating, but without innovating, your execution will be dead. Um, so it's, it's a game that you have to learn how to play.
0: Yeah, sure thing. And just to continue on the autonomous commerce, I remember during the panel of Ship2B, you mentioned also this concept of how in the future, uh, when we are shopping on certain platform for a good, not only should we pay for the price of the good, but also we need to pay for the environmental impact and like the whole supply chain from transportation, CO2, emission, the labor, like every aspect about sustainability about one product. I don't know if I I express myself. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So this is is
1: one of the, another thing that we're looking into autonomous commerce. So right now, if you look at our supply chain, Every every single person knows that supply chain is, is really, really a complex <laughs> map of, you <laughs> yes. know, let's just take something as simple as bananas. You have the, the farmers, the growers, then you, you send it to probably the... Um, uh, some kind of a factory to to um, handle this, the the bananas, and then they're being uh, sent sent to distributors, distributors to supermarkets, supermarkets to either restaurants or to the consumers, right? And this is a simple, simple, straightforward supply chain. There are much more complex ones, and I'm mentioning this because every single time there's an exchange of hands, and this is this is true in every single uh, systems out there. Every time there's an exchange of hands, there's an exchange or um, a, um, a leak of information and knowledge about that product. And at the same time, an increase of cost because you're, you're exchanging mm-hmm. hands. There's always a commission or there's always a transaction fees. And so we're calling, we're not us, but this fee that you're added on is called transaction friction. Um, mm-hmm. And it adds, there are costs that aren't uh, related to the item itself. It, there are costs uh, that are anything but the item. So you're, you're, we're talking about advertising fees. You're talking about marketing fees, uh, logistic fees. They're everything but the product In and of itself. And then um, uh, so if you if you look at all of this happening in the world, every single time we make a single purchase, let's say the banana of a banana, because there is this leak of information and because there is this increase of cost, that purchase of a banana, you have no idea where it comes from i mean uh, i would like for you to uh next time you go buy bananas look at the bananas Mm -hmm. try to find out where it is from how far it has arrived to what are the nutritional values what if they have had used pesticide if they had if you like you would look at the banana you'd be like i have no idea the only (laughs) thing that you know about this banana is that it costs x amount of money and that is not representative the only uh this the cost of the banana right now that we're calculating is only calculating based on uh, an economic value of, of that bananas through the supply chain. So the reason I'm, I'm mentioning this in the in the context of autonomous commerce is because we think that in this given future, Because there is intelligence applied to this layer of complexity, maybe we will be able to understand the true cost of this banana. And and when I say true cost, I am talking about, well, how much will it cost uh, post-consumption for it to recycle, for example, what is the cost of uh, the CO two trans uh, um, the the CO two uh, emission when it is being delivered? What is the cost of uh, the social cost? This is something really hard to calculate. But is it is it being harvested by decent labor? Um, is it you know all of these questions? We might be able to we introduce in this formula of how to calculate true cost and then using uh, again um, agents or intelligent agents to to help you make those decisions and help you make those cons- uh, uh, or aggregate those consumer patterns might be the future of
0: how we can
1: make a better be be a more responsible consumer ourselves
0: mm-hmm I absolutely agree. I think as we dive more into circular economy and sustainable sustainable business, this is a topic a lot of uh, entrepreneurs are talking about. And well, even in the field of blockchain, they're trying to open up the supply chain transparency for any good we purchase. However, it is a challenge and uh, uh, hopefully in the near future, we can see some solutions.
1: Yeah, um, hopefully. <laughs>
0: yeah, and in terms of, it's really fascinating. I want to know more about your two other labs you are taking on this year. We can talk about one or two of them, like based on how much time you think we have.
1: Sure, yeah. uh, we can talk about food, which is one of my favorite.
0: <laughs> uh, me, mine too. Trust me, <laughs> everyone. <laughs> Sure.
1: Um, so the, our food lab, which is called Food Charity, it's a play on word, um, mm-hmm. is looking on uh, obviously the, on the future of food. And um, fascinating by this because for various reasons, um, we we're all impacted by food, right? We all eat. We all eat three meals, four meals, five meals a day. It's very <laughs> uh, driven. It's, it's very ingrained in our culture. It is very much an issue in, with our growing populations and the, the amount of food that we can provide. It requires system thinking because it affects uh, from you know the, the, the grower all the way to the whole entire population of, of, uh, of the world. So there are many different things that are at play with the food system that I am interested in. And, uh, and I think that this, our lab started, I wouldn't even say started when I was at alpha. So I've done a couple of projects at alpha looking at alternative for protein source. That was the initial idea. But then as I looked into the system, I realized that there's so much that I could look into. So one of the things that was a a big question for me was maybe 500 years ago, a thousand years ago, or 5,000 years ago, food is relatively a, for sustenance. There weren't a lot of obesity issue, there weren't a lot of, you know, gluttony happening except for a few elite people were barely surviving with just mm-hmm. enough amount of food. So let's travel back to today. We don't we we, we don't have for most developed countries we don't have a problem with food in that regard we are we don't have a food shortage let's not jump into covid covid kind of changed a little (laughs) bit of how 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 we do things pre-covid we didn't have these issues right um we eat for fun we eat for you know social reasons we eat for culture tradition we eat because we're bored we eat because we're we broke up with someone (laughs) exactly we eat for all sorts of reasons and so one of the, the question that I had is, well, is it, and this is ca- coming from a conversation with uh, uh, another scientist friend of mine, um, uh, and he mentioned that he, he said, well, what, what happens if we can decouple these things? And I was like, huh interesting idea. So we, I kind of took that as to a challenge and look into, well, can we actually decouple some of these things? And what do I mean by decoupled, right? So um, if you look at some of the research that's currently happening, uh, for example, in University of Singapore, they have this amazing project called e-Lemonade. And what is lemonade? e-lemonate? lemonade is literally a cup that have electronics in it that passes electrodes. And what they can do is you pour water in it and it will introduce a small electric current. Uh, and that will change the taste of the water that you're drinking and made it taste like lemonade when, in fact, you're just dr- uh, drinking water.
0: Water. Wow.
1: So that's amazing for me because that, for me, it's like you are de- we are able to decoupled taste from food. Right. You now have separated that. Um, and so I, I looked further and said, "Well, can you decouple other things?" And uh, there's another university, I believe, in Japan where they have a, a similar device, but this time is to simulate a simulate texture. So it sits on your jar, the outside of your jar, and it will feel like you're chewing on something when you're in fact chewing on nothing. <laughs> <laughs> So now you're, you have decoupled texture from the food. Well, you can go on and on and there are m- different kinds of studies and research that are being done right now that could emulate food and what we're calling electronic edibles that can do things like this. So, uh, the great things about being, the, uh, being able to decouple things is wh- what happens when you recouple them. And the recoupling is interesting because then you can, you can have all sorts of different combinations that you would never have in in the real world right because mm-hmm. you can you can combine any anyhow you want so one of the examples of recoupling is a friend of mine who's doing this project in japan mm-hmm. he is explaining the possibility of what's called designer meat which is that in the future if you can decouple uh cells which we're we're actually doing it right now right culturing yeah. cells from uh, protein cells from from the animal uh mm-hmm. what happens if you can recombine them in a way that it's you know surprising, like combining fat cells from fish, which is good for you, uh, with protein cells from cows, and you have a new designer meat that is a combination of fish and cows that you you can't find in in the real world. And what happens if you can bring back extinct animals? What happens if you can create mammoth meat from? You know, from extinct animals. Can that even happen? And what happens when you recombine them with what we have now? And so that opens up, you know, a whole slew of different possibilities (laughs) that is amazing, right? So imagine that, uh, you know, they have an ability to create an e-plate like the e lemonade, except that this is e-plate with all sorts of flavors you can imagine that maybe we have some food that is providing nutrients another type of electronic taste providing the taste and the chewiness and the like all of the sensations will be augmented in in a way that we have never seen before
0: yeah. and
1: so that for me is super exciting and that's a little bit about uh, what we have been working on in the future of food
0: Okay cool that just remind me of the right now the popular protein based uh, uh, no um, vegetable protein based fake meat in the market yes. like impossible burger beyond meat yes uh, but i have to say it, the the concept really drained a big hole in my head and as any technology um envision, like i i believe there are people who are super enthusiastic and people some people are holding it back And me here, I'm kind of taking the position, like, so what facing the current food situation we have, like, be it the overnutrition, obesity, um, the environment, however, my perspective is more towards we go back to nature, go back to whole food, or like, or go for vegetarian, mainly. Uh, So it's like, dragging my thoughts to another direction. Very interesting.
1: (laughs) I think I I do have to say that I don't think there's a singular solution. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't think that we can adopt um, one solution for everybody. Meaning that if if the whole entire uh, population in the future, uh, let's say 10 years, 20 years from now, we're 9 billion. And if the whole entire population of 9 billion people are only eating vegetables, we're also in trouble. Yeah. So w- we need to hit a balance of what is what is uh, you know what what is what we can actually do.
0: Yeah, you, you have your point because I it was a very interesting discovery for me as well during an event. I met this girl who worked for I forgot the exact name, but it's an association for potatoes. And the, the whole reason that this association or company exists is because as the population growing fastly uh, until it hit a plateau, we're going to reach like 11 million. We are going to fe- face a shortage of food, even right. though right now we don't feel it. So definitely, right. the dire- uh, I totally agree with you. The solution should be in, th- um, in all the direction rather than just one solution for all.
1: Right, and it's, it's yeah. it, it is even more... Um, uh, it's even more challenging when you're when you look at the amount of food that we waste on one hand, which is about thirty mm-hmm. to to forty percent uh, from one spectrum, and and ha- still having people in hunger on the other spectrum, right? Right. <laughs> so yeah. that's that's uh, that's a huge problem that we have to look into, and one of the reasons why I, w- I was so interested in re- decoupling food. Uh, I wanted to answer the question of whether if we can decouple those needs when we are when let's say when we when we're eating because of stress, we might not actually need to eat food at all. We can just go into the e food uh, mm-hmm. possibility uh, and and replace that uh, with our kind of needs versus when we actually need new nutrients and when we need um you know the the food in and of itself, then we can go for the food option so is there a possibility of? Providing for the pleasure, but without actually wasting our resources that other people might need.
0: Definitely fascinating. Well, I'd like to also get touched upon the third lab because for me, it's an idea that's even newer to me. And I'm, I focus closely on Tesla and Elon Musk. And as we know, Elon Musk has a Neuralink, also a very futuristic company. And I, I think your third lab, the neuro Lab, is doing something similar. Yes, yes. Uh, one of the reasons
1: why the neuro Lab is uh, fascinating for us, and, and I think it's an absolutely necessary uh, lab for for everybody, is because uh, if you look back in history, and a lot of everything, sing, every single thing that we do, we look back in history and we learn from history itself. Inter- interface is the predominant um, access to consumers mm-hmm. so um, you know back in commerce um, and this is, this one is very much connected to the e-commerce uh, project that we've been working on but if you look at the regular commerce the interface was the storefront you go mm-hmm. in, in that, and that and people have spent lots of monies and drawing people in or marketing and, and that was kind of sort of the interactions that one have uh, for the consumer but then, you know, e-commerce, m commerce comes along. Those interfaces have changed where, you know, where you're talking about a laptop or mobile phones, those became our predominant interface. And now we're seeing a new shift. And that shift is towards the smart speakers. Um, and so we're, we're seeing, you know, Google Homes, we're seeing Alexas as the predominant interface. Why is this relevant? The interface is going to be the funnel or even the, the, um, the point of entry. For everyone, whoever wins the interface war, will win the next whatever war that we're 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 up against. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you, th- this is one of the reasons why every single tech giant out there is investing into these these agents, these speakers, or these um, devices. And the other thing is that looking at a Google, Google Home, right, comparing to how you would do searches before, let's say I want to buy bananas, uh, and I'm using my laptop, and you would say I want to buy bananas, and it will give you the top 10 search- searches of uh, where you can get bananas nearby, right? That's just how we, we can buy things right now. Or you can go to Amazon, and Amazon is another place where uh, they're, they're funneling people to, to buy things through their portal, and which is another access, right? But if you, if you look at uh, Google as a search, what will happen when you have uh, Google and you need to buy bananas? You're not going to see those 10 searches. You're not even going to see which the, the, the supermarkets that will be selling them. Google will uh, funnel everyone through them, through the, the, their devices, and they will be the main point of entry. They will win the interface war if they have that ability to funnel everyone through their their platform, their device, right? And so the reason why we're interested in neural interface is because after these speakers, um, maybe one or two other iterations later, the next interface, the next big interface will be the neural anything connected to your brain. Um, and so understanding that as an interface, and this is also why we, in our neural lab, it's UIRO, UI as in user interface, uh, neural us- user interface um, as the kind of main understanding of how we going to interact with consumers and with other people in the future.
0: Okay. It's getting more and more sci-fi-ish, but also <laughs> I can definitely see it happening because... Yeah, if we can imagine it, it will happen. That's my perspective.
1: Uh, are you Are you asking me whether I think this will happen or? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, it's not a question of if it is going to happen. It is a question of when. When it is going to happen, right? Sure. We are. We are already seeing amazing events in. Um, We've seen research where um, they're able to map um, re- just simply reading brain wave activities. They're able to see what the person had seen before, just decoding using brainwaves. So there, there were already have capabilities of how to read, and and in the future, hopefully, write uh, into into um, into brainwaves. So. Yeah, very fascinating stuff. <laughs> All right. we, when we were in Boston, um, we visited a company called Neurobals, and they're doing really amazing things. Where um, they have uh, virtual reality devices, um, where you there's no control. So there's no. So right now, if you if you have ever used a VR device, you have these things that you hold in your hands, and that, those are your hands virtually. Mm-hmm. But in this in Neurobals, there there are no devices, and the way the only way you control things in that virtual world is through your minds. So you, you think of doing something, and they will do it in the virtual space. So imagine how that could easily be transferred into the real world, right? And so, um, yeah, it's, it's definitely happening. Oh,
0: wow. Well, just to wrap all those back, everything is powered by data and AI. As we cr- increase our data points, our computer powers, it is enob- enabling a lot of emo- imagination to come true absolutely yeah so after going through very futuristic topics um i'd like to get back to us as of now um after we know about all the cool projects and the ventures you've viewed and just for you as of now when you introduce yourself to other people how would you how would you identify yourself like how do you introduce yourself after doing oh, so many things so <laughs>
1: <laughs> i think there are many uh like many other people i think it's very difficult to to just have a label i'm, I'm not a person i don't like to label anything mm-hmm. because it i understand that the need for label because then people can understand it and associate but then labels also kind of corner people to kind of a stereotype right mm-hmm.
0: um and
1: this is an issue that i have and i'm sure you might have as well living in barcelona <laughs> you know um, <laughs> being cornered into a, a certain stereotype has been uh something that i've been facing myself so mm-hmm. um so right now in this particular moment i uh i have been using the label of a future s- synthesis and mm-hmm. i like the word synthesis because uh the word synthesis comes from almost the opposite of analysis so an- analysis is someone who's breaking, uh, um, breaking apart uh, uh, something so that they could analyze it, uh, understand it in the parts, whereas a the synthesis, they put the parts together to create something new. And, mm. and I tend to think of myself as someone who's creating from the parts that are being given. Uh, this is talking about things that I have uh, learned historically um, and from whatever analysis that I have received um, into something that could be applicable in the future.
0: I love that idea. Yeah, uh, very inspiring. Uh, but I I know that was a tricky question because I agree with you. When people ask me what do I do, I find it really difficult to answer. Like usually, when you get to know someone, you tend to want to know what they do as a career. But that's also a very narrow way of defining one person. But the reason I ask you because. Is because I know, on top of all the amazing things you've done, you're also a mom. And yes. as a woman, I know, I just want to know how you balance everything together.
1: Oh, I don't know if I balance anything <laughs> together. It's
0: <laughs> never uh, balanced. It's
1: never balanced and it's never, it's never perfect, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. But my work and my life, they're very much intertwined. I learn a lot from my kids, uh, and I apply that to work, whereas, you know, and I show them a lot of what I do. And so mm-hmm. that, you know, as as kind of part of their education, right, mm-hmm. and, and communication. So uh, what I'm trying to do, what I have been trying to do is instead of drawing very solid lines of what is work and what is life, I, I'm actually uh, actively trying to create overlaps, so mm-hmm. that uh, the amount of time that I spent with them, and thinking about work, they are kind of sort of, The same thing and vice versa i don't know if that makes any sense
0: (laughs) that's a very distinctive perspective because nowadays people talk about work-life balance is about separating them when you're home you don't talk about work when you're work, you you focus no but i like the way you are doing it because i think majority of the reason is you really enjoy what you do and that way you can really merge these two sides together Um, absolutely there has been
1: no better conversation than talking to my two girls about gender
0: (laughs) wow i love it like listening to this like my heart is warming up (laughs) (laughs) so um before we wrap up is there anything else you would like to share that we didn't have chance to touch upon
1: I would love if people connect uh, to me on LinkedIn, uh, find me. There aren't a lot of uh, Cecilia Tom out there, so please look for me. Um, I Super. Would, exactly. I would love to continue conversations, uh, debates, and feedback. And um, yeah, find me, and we'll talk more.
0: Super. Maybe in the future we'll invite you back for an episode specifically on gender. Yes. <laughs> and then we'll put your LinkedIn in our show notes as well to share with everyone. That's perfect. Thank you anyway, so much. thank you very much, Cecilia. You know, be- based on the COVID situation, basically the way we travel and uh, inspire our curiosities through learning and good conversations. And today our conversation has definitely took me on a trip. If it's not Back to the Future, it is something like that. Mm -hmm. So thank you very much um, for the conversation. And we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. So that concludes our conversation with Cecilia today. What's your thoughts? I hope that serves as some inspiration for you as well. But most importantly, a big announcement is we recently published our website, dataforfuture.org. Check it out from our show notes and leave your comments, become a patron, support us, and join the community. Data for Future, we'll see you next episode.